are listening to the American Truth Project podcast. So let's talk about one of the big issues in the United States today is we've got a different ambassador to the UN, Nikki Haley, who is making a lot of noise about changing the UN. And in particular, many of her speeches, Danny, have been about the United States not putting up any more with Israel being the dumping ground uh, of the United Nations, especially in the General Assembly. The UN has proven itself time and again to be a grossly biased organization when it comes to Israel. Why is there so much anti-Israel uh, sentiment, speeches, uh, motions, declarations, condemnations of the state of Israel within the UN body. And now the UN Human Rights Commission led by Jordan. Simply put, the United Nation and its organization has been hijacked by the Palestinians and their collaborators. They render them a, a rubber stamp, which is to the detriment of this organization because it really cuts down to its uh, credibility, which is n n nothing. And the reason is the Arab automatic majority. You see, out of 193 member states, the majority is siding with the Arabs. Why? There are two tw 22 Arab countries, 57 if you include Muslims. And then you have the non-development, which also under the extreme pressure of the Arabs, because the, these developing countries either need Arab money or Arab oil. So if you take it, you know, all, it's about 120 countries which are under the influence of the Palestinians out of 193. So before the Palestinians even go out of their offices to vote in the UN, they have 120 in their pocket. So this Arab, automatic Arab majority is, is the reason. And, and the cause, of course, is that Israel will never allow the United Nations to be a partner or a negotiator because it's like a, a kangaroo court. And again, this at the end of the day hurts the Palestinians. Well, I keep reading, and I'm sure you've heard the same sentiment uh, in the United States, get us out of the UN. Uh, it's lost its focus. It's a, as you called it, a kangaroo court. It, for us in America, it's almost like the inmates are running the asylum. Um, the goofball little countries with a very small population, with no democracy, run by thug dictators that slaughter people in their streets, get one vote. The same as the United States, the same as Israel. And when you add up those little countries combined with bigger countries and bigger countries, 99% of them have no elections, have no democracy, have no freedom. Condemning Israel in every vote. At some point, don't we say in America and maybe in Israel as well, it's lost its purpose, its focus, and any meaning? Well, we say it, it certainly lost its purpose and its effectiveness. I'm not talking about dealing with the real issues of the, the, the world, uh, especially the uh, developing world of uh, hunger and poverty and uh, uh, Disease. diseases. And they don't deal with that because they're hijacked by the Palestinians. There was a, a, a thinking you know, to do away with the UN just to have uh, an organization for democratic countries. But that didn't fly. And since this is the only game in town, we are all subscribed to it, but without giving it 
any significance. So it's just a game. I can't even imagine what the Israeli delegation, the training that must be necessary to sit and listen to the, the, to the abuse hour after hour in the General Assembly about human rights, where Syria, tens of thousands sometimes are killed in a short period of time, where Russia invades territory and slaughters everybody, where there's civil wars going on, where whole tribes are being wiped out in an afternoon, mm -hmm. okay. and um, an Israeli policeman shoots back after being shot at, and it's discussion at the Security Council. It's a disproportionate insanity that I don't know how you deal with it. 85% of all the condemnations in the UN are leveled at Israel. 85%. And the other 15% are for the whole rest of the world? For the rest of the world, for Darfur, for Bosnia, for Rwanda, the massacre there, the genocide there, for uh, Cuba, for Venezuela with uh, you know their dictatorship. How about North Korea? How North about Iran? Korea, you name it. Iran, exactly. So of course it's a it's a, it's a joke. Nobody really uh, takes it seriously. Even those countries that vote with the Arabs against Israel do not take it seriously, and they would come to us uh, very apologetically, you know, after the vote to say we're sorry. We had to do it because of you know our interest and the pressure from the from the Arabs, but we don't mean it. Don't take it. Uh, <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't take it seriously. We don't either. <laughs> and and the most important thing is that on the bilateral relations. Israel with each and every one of those countries that vote against us, we have great relations of trade and commerce and investments and uh, technological transfer and military cooperation, you name it. So again, it's a game, it's a theater of the absurd, and as long as the Palestinians will keep this attitude of no peace, no recognition of Israel, and no compromise, it will continue again to their detriment. So let's talk about the PA hating on Americans, especially the representatives of the President of the United States. Uh, Nikki Haley uh, at the UN, as you know, has been a very strong supporter and friend of Israel, uh, both publicly uh, in the forum and every time she's in front of a camera. And in response to her uh, forthright statements about fairness, uh, she was told specifically that she should shut up, and that came from the Palestinian Authority. Yeah. Uh, to make matters worse, the American ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, uh, was pronounced to be the son of a dog. The Friedman, which is a very bad um, insult in Arabic and uh, he is the representative to that area and going forward how can the United States consider uh, the Palestinian Authority any sort of peace process partner or anyone to negotiate with so much disdain for America? Well first of all Barry we should understand the main point here. The main point here is that Abu Mazen under a little pressure shows his true colors and the true colors is that he is racist that uh, he is anti-Semitic and that he is not ready for peace, quite the opposite. And by calling David Friedman, who is a, a Jewish guy, a son of a dog, 
it goes directly to what the Arabs and the extreme Muslims say, including Hamas. They say Jews are sons of pigs and sons of dogs. كذلك القردة والخنازير وهم أحفاد القردة والخنازير هكذا علمنا القرآن. So this is exactly his meaning. What he means to say is about Friedman. Very demeaning, very derogatory, very arrogant from his point of view. So subhuman. Absolutely. And it again shows the Palestinian Authority, just like Hamas, is not ready for peace. They just use different tactics where Hamas is using missiles and bombs and uh, use uh, children as human shields, the Palestinians basically are conducting a political warfare of incitement, of blood libels against Israel using just the same uh, uh, tactics of the Nazi propaganda minister Goebbels, the same thing. but. When it comes to terror, it's not that they are against it, and we see it that every terrorist that comes from the Palestinian Authority is not only being glorified, but being paid. And the more Jews these terrorists kill, the better money, the more money and better salary him and his family gets. So we talk about pay for play all the time, and that's the Taylor Forsack, which we're going to talk about. But as of now, with so much disrespect, for the two representatives of the United States, how can the United States treat the Palestinian Authority with any kind of civility, let alone have a communication when they think so badly of us in America? Well, again, it shows how the Palestinians never are uh, grateful. Actually, they are ungrateful. They've been very ungrateful to anybody who supported them in the, in the, in, in the past tried to topple the Jordanian uh, regime, the Lebanese regime, anywhere they go, the Kuwaiti regime, siding with Saddam Hussein back in the early 90s, uh, they bite the hand that feeds them. The United States gives more money than any other country for the Palestinian Authority budget. And by trying to disassociate themselves from the, 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 the Americans, it's, it's just, uh, it's ridiculous. They cannot do it. There is no substitute to American involvement and leadership in any political arrangement in the Middle East. They know it. And the reason, the reason he's trying to shun the United States goes again to what we say, he does not want peace. So he's just using it as a pretext um, to avoid making any compromise. So far, if you have, you know, if you analyze since 93, this famous Oslo until now, it was only Israel who made compromises. You know, if we started, you know, you know, in a, a great distance between the two starting positions, Israel now moved all the way, 99% towards the Palestinians. They didn't move an inch. So, because he understands that the Trump administration is much more realistic than former administrations who did not succeed with bringing about peace, and it will never succeed by putting the onus on Israel and not also on the Palestinians. Israel is not the only one that has to uh, make compromises, and we are willing, and we have made compromises. But the Palestinians will also have to do the same. He is not ready for it. So he's saying the U.S. is not a, a partner, it's not an honest broker, so he can continue his policies of rejection, of supporting uh, terrorism, and denying, and denying 
the Jewish state's inalienable right to exist. This is what he teaches his children in schools. Let's talk about the crisis in Gaza. Today, there are tens of thousands of Palestinians uh, whooped up like crazy people on the border by their Hamas leadership, rushing the fence, throwing stones and burning tires at the Israeli troops, trying to protect Israelis uh, that are living on the other side of the border, and in some cases, firing live rounds of ammunition across the border through the fence. What should the Israeli response be, and what should the world response be? Well, first of all, Barry, the Israeli response is, should be very, very strong. And I think what the IDF and the Israeli government uh, are doing now is just right. No sovereign country can have such an invasion, and not just an invasion of peaceful people, but of people who are uh, meaning uh, not well for, uh, for Israelis. You have to stop it and keep your sovereignty. It's a right of uh, self-defense. It's the basic right of every nation. And uh, what we do is we keep them out. At all costs, we need to keep them out, and this is what we're doing. I believe the international community should do is condemn the Hamas and ask them and demand that they will stop inciting the people. Basically, what they do is they brainwash them. They deny them any uh, human amenities. They make them just so depro deplorably uh, miserable so they have nothing to lose, and then they send them to the, to the border. Uh, and not only that, they send the children and women first. Oh, a seven-year-old child was put to the border fence. Yes. And fortunately, the IDF was a, a able to reunite the child with Absolutely. the parents. Absolutely. So I think the Hamas should understand that not only they bear the responsibility, but there is a consequence. And the consequence is that all those Hamas leaders should be tried in Hague for war crimes. I couldn't agree with you more, and yet... Uh, we're two people shouting into the wilderness this afternoon. Um, the news out of the EU is that uh, European leaders are calling for an investigation as to the disproportionate Israeli response. Uh, and the UN Security Council is calling for an investigation as well. I wonder what the appropriate response is. Is it to drop leaflets, stop trying to kill Israelis? Is it to put up signs? Please be nice. What would be the appropriate response according to the Europeans and the uh, United Nations where you served? That's the whole thing. They have no good answers. They are very, very easy to uh, point fingers, but without any answers. And I can tell you there is a huge double standard here because no European country would let uh, illegal immigrants or invaders to come across their borders. So they don't have any solutions. Israel actually is the most humane uh, country in the world. And uh, in, in terms of collateral damage, the Israeli army is doing not only its best, but it's better than any other military force on earth in terms of limiting any collateral damage and actually protecting uh, uh, human beings uh, even against their own wishes. Certainly, of their of their. Uh, I, I I agree with you, but what's going to happen? They're calling for uh, around the time of Israeli Independence Day, which the Palestinians call the Nabka, the catastrophe. Right. They want the fence rushed 
and knocked down with 10,000 people invading southern Israel, where we were just filming a few weeks ago, live there, and it was peaceful and it was fields of crops. Right. What will Israel do if and when 10,000 people pour through that fence? Two things. First of all, more of the same, but uh, in much more intensive and extensive ways to stop them. Secondly, there are some tactical issues, of course, that we are not at liberty to, to tell about, but uh, there are some ways also to stop them in their territory before they come very close to the, to the fence. And then there is another measure that has not been tried yet, and this is deterrence. That means those who carelessly send them and brainwash them, you know, the leaders of, of the Hamas, you know, who are just talking about their hell-bent on the destruction of the state of Israel, and they say it. They are the ones who should bear the consequences. That means they are fair game. And I believe if they will understand that their lives is at risk, just as they want to put these babies and these poor children at, at risk, maybe they will have second thoughts. Well, we're going to see in the next couple of weeks. Of course, so let's talk about BDS. Everybody knows what it is. Everybody knows it's a worldwide movement to economically ruin Israel. And many people believe it is a coordinated worldwide attempt to destroy the state of Israel. What most people don't talk about, however, is that the people that are often hurt the most by BDS are not the Israelis, the Jews living in Israel, but actually the Arabs in the area. Absolutely. What's your thought on that? Well, you're right. First of all, the Israeli economy is strong enough uh, that no BDS will deter countries and companies who need Israeli technology from continuing and purchasing it. It hurts the Palestinians in, in two ways. First of all, those who are employed, many Palestinians are employed by Israeli companies. And by trying to cut the manufacturing, let's say, of Israeli entities in Judea and Samaria, that would mean laying off of Palestinians. So that's what happened in Soda Street. Absolutely. I do not support this boycott. It's not good because the workers were Arabs and there will be no jobs. But there is another thing which people do not think about, and that is by subscribing to BDS, by promoting BDS, by keeping BDS alive, it, it gives the Palestinians the illusion that they may win the war by not doing anything. That means they think that the international community or the BDS movement will deliver Israel to them on a silver platter. We will suffer as Israel suffers from the boycott, but the entire Palestinian civil society has said we are ready to pay that price to gain freedom, justice and equality. Which of course is nonsense. So by them continuing being intransigent, the Palestinian Authority, I'm not talking about Hamas of course, uh, they are not making any move towards peace. They think that they can sit still and this may hurt them for the next centuries if they do not just come back to their senses and negotiate. And the BDS, as you mentioned, the BDS is not designed to change Israeli policies vis-a-vis -vis settlements or anything else. It's designed specifically to destroy the state of Israel. And the battle cry of BDS is 
from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, where there is no room for Israel. And I'm saying that because unfortunately there are some misguided Jews and Israelis who subscribe to BDS, naively I believe, thinking that they will change Israeli policy. But basically they subscribe to the, uh, the attempt to undermine the entire existence of the state of Israel. So for our viewers, from the river to the sea geographically is from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea in that area is where the state of Israel sits on non-disputed territory. So the slogan from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, in order for that to occur, the state of Israel would have to vanish off the map. And you're right, um, within the United States especially, the organizers of BDS make no secret of the fact they want the state of Israel to be eliminated and believing that an economic boycott will do that incentivizes them to continue their mission. Absolutely. They believe it will hurt Israeli economy, they believe it will isolate Israel, render it a pariah state. This is part of what I call the political warfare. But they should understand from all the attempts in the past, you know, when they tried economic boycotts, it did not uh, uh, deter Israel from continuing and building the country. Today we have one of the strongest economies in the world. They tried military, uh, of course wars, and we won all these wars. So now they try a different tactic, you know, with different means. They think they will destroy us, and this is the political war for BDS and uh, all this incitement. It will not work. And uh, I would advise the Palestinians that their leaders, they have been really, they have been uh, compromised by successive Palestinian leader, leaders, all the way from uh, Haj Amin and Husseini, who went to Hitler back in the late 30s, all the way down to Arafat and Abu Mazen today. And unless and until they change their policies, accepting the Jewish right for our homeland, willing to live side by side with coexist peaceful coexistence and cooperation, nothing will change. And of course we have to do what we need to do, and this is defend ourselves and live our life to the fullest and, and really fulfill our, I would say, God-given uh, mandate of being a light unto the nation, but also live up to 4,000 years of Jewish civilizations and tradition and make sure that this tradition will live for the next 4,000 years. Quick question. We've got two big appointments coming from the United States, courtesy of President Trump. Uh, Mike Pompeo uh, looks like he's going to be the next Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. And John Bolton is going to be National Security Advisor. The word out of Washington is big changes for the Middle East and for Israel. What's your take? Well, uh, John Bolton I know very well personally. He's a good friend. I've worked with him uh, many times uh, and I think he's great. I think he's a great American. I think he's a wonderful strategist. And I think he will be a great asset to the administration, as well as Pompeo. And uh, I believe that, uh, of course, they, uh, all these administration uh, executives, they uh, serve at the pleasure of the, the president, and uh, they should carry out the president's uh, policy. And I believe these two are best suited to do that. And especially, I think, their contribution will be in two major issues that uh, the world suffers from today. First is Iran. And this Iran deal, which was so bad, 
cannot continue. And I believe that just by the sheer appointment, this sends, this sends a, a, a message, first of all, to Tehran, to the Ayatollahs, so that they better uh, play ball and uh, understand that the changes should be uh, taking place. And the same to the European leaders, that the United States is not bluffing. And I believe that these two appointments uh, may bring about a much better deal with Iran. And this is very, very important. Second thing, of course, is uh, when it comes to um, the tumult in the, uh, in the Middle East and the Palestinian issue. I think both these gentlemen, these uh, great American leaders, Pompeo and Bolton, understand that the main problem in the Middle East is not the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict but it is the pathologies uh, in the Arab societies, the inequality, the um, extremism, the uh, negation of uh, modernity. All these cause infighting, and not just infighting, but they can inflame and they has inflamed the entire region, which is so strategically important for the rest of the world. Right. Let's go back to Iran for a second. As you know, I'm... Um, a big mouth when it comes to the fact that the JCPOA was maybe the worst deal in American foreign policy history. I'll say it until the deal is dead and buried. Do you think Pompeo and uh, Bolton, who have spoken out against it for years, mm -hmm. uh, will carry out a policy, as Trump said, to either tear it up or make major changes to it? And if so, will they be able to do it without European support? Absolutely. They, they both um, uh, subscribe to this uh, policy of fix it or nix it. That's about the, the Iran deal. And I believe that other nations would have no choice because even if the United States decides to go alone, that means that all other nations have to choose a clear choice between Iran or the United States. And I think it's a no-brainer. But what are they going to do, Danny? Um, massive contracts have been signed um, for planes, for oil, for industrial development, mm -hmm. all kinds of exchange of goods, services, and manpower. Uh, are they going to start unwinding these contracts? I mean, they're talking about billions that have already been signed because that market is now open to Europe. Actually, this is the car the U.S. is using because in order to keep these billion of dollars deals, which are very important for this European economies, they should fix the deal. So this is an incentive for them to go and fix the deal. If they do not, then they will have a choice. They may have these contracts, but they will lose American markets, and which can give them much more uh, business. And if you add to this the financial consequences by the United States denying any banking uh, transactions with these companies, I think this is again a no-brainer and they will prefer to join the United States and not worry against it. And at the end of the day, it's also their existential interest. The and for some reason though, they think the missiles are going to fly over Europe towards the United States right. or south of Europe into Israel and it's not their problem. Right. And, and this is also a hypocrisy or this is a, a misguided policy or I cannot uh, understand why they are not facing up to reality, which really basically is reminiscent of what happened in the 30s in Europe. They so much want to uh, postpone and avoid conflict at the price of having then a major conflict with many more 
lives lost than when they would just take care of it when it's still manageable. In 1939, they could have taken Hitler out in a weekend. And by 1939, in the, in the winter, it was too late. Right. And we may be in the same place today. Thanks for listening to the American Truth Project, a 501c3 nonprofit. Please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on our social media channels to stay plugged in to the truth. Go to americantruthproject.org and subscribe to our newsletter to stay informed on the latest news.